Chapter 21 of The Mystery of the Woods by W. H. H. Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 21 It was afternoon. The sun was sinking with that slow and easy motion with which in the long summer days it glides downward to its cool evening rest. The least hint of shadow lurked under the cedar branches at the western extremity and hung like an intangible vapor of darkness around the tips of the balsam branches. But above the sky was bright with the day's brightness. The surface of the lake gleamed in answering response of color, and the western sides of the pines glinted back through all their glistening stems the gleaming beams which, in losing something of their heat, had gained, or seemed to gain, a higher reflective power. Halfway down the lake on one of the little beaches, her figure brought sharply out against the dark black background of the balsams, as the sun shone upon it, stood a girl. Her hands slightly joined hung drooping in front of her, and her face was lifted upward to the sun. As she stood, her eyes gazing at the sun, as if she would take within their large clear orbs a light to last her through the coming gloom. Her hair, unconfined, flowed over her shoulders. The sunlight shone on it, and penetrated it until the light brown color took of its warmth, the single hairs lying freest, bright as the beam itself. The depth of the waving mass grew tawny with a hint of richest yellow, like Etruscan gold. She was tall. She stood erect, her pose firm, no weakness in it, no awkward stiffness either, like a delicate shaft, slender indeed, but firm of material, and set on an adequate pedestal. The face was tranquil, not with the tranquility of contentment, but with patience and of power. The tranquility of one who has much to bear, but is able to bear it. If it were possible to associate so common a feeling with such an uncommon face, one would have been tempted to say that the girl had suffered and was suffering from hunger. For the pallor and the first symptoms of emaciation, whose suggestive and pathetic shrinking precedes the actual loss of flesh, were plainly visible around the sockets of the eyes, on the curvature of the cheek, and the drawn tightness of the large and naturally ripe mouth. But still would have taken but a glance to have caused any of our readers to recognize that the girl standing thus on the beach of the lonely lake, and the girl whose picture the detective had shown Herbert and the trapper, were one and the same. Slowly the sun went down, slowly but surely. Could it not stay? Could God not cause it to halt? that a young child of his thus deserted of all but the light of the blessed day might at least die cheered by the sweetness of that light? So her eyes prayed as she stood with them fastened on the descending orb. For five nights she had known the horror of darkness, the horror of its sounds and its stillness alike. Five times had the sun gone down and left her standing upon that beach alone. Five times had night the wild, roving, screaming night of the woods, filled with animals and not men, filled with beasts and birds of prey, and wild things that creep and crawl, flutter and fly aimlessly, captured her body on that shore and tortured it with shrinkings and the horror of uncertainty. And now for the sixth time the same dreadful night was coming on, coming like a thief, like a murderer, adjusting his mask as he moves on his errand, darkening his face as he creeps toward the performance of his awful deed. Once she had stayed the night long on that beach, 
stayed that she might see the stars and have the companionship of orbs whose beams shone at last on human habitations and to whose shining human eyes somewhere at least were lifted. One night she had remained there that she might have the companionship of the stars, the evidence of life, of mercy, and protection. Amid the gloom of that darkness which had murdered day and cruelly surrounded her with danger from which she could not flee and against which she had no protection, save of that eccentric providence which allows one sweet innocent creature to be killed and snatches another sweet and innocent creature from her doom. But even on that beach what terrors had come to her and how powerless were the stars to help. In the sand, hidden from sight, she had heard things creep and crawl. On the edge of the bank, her ears had caught the stealing footfall from the declivity of the overhanging hill, whose slope rose sharply from the shore. She had heard animals come down, wild creatures that called unto each other, challenged each other with fierce screams, and when they met, joined in dreadful combat until the very woods, startled out of slumber, screamed back to them, multiplying the wild outcries. Other footfalls, too, her ears had caught, footfalls that had no voice accompanying them, footfalls that moved slowly and cautiously, and were interrupted by long, watchful pauses, footfalls from feet that would advance and halt, and then come on again, came directly toward her, until they reached the very border of the open space, and she, driven to the water's edge and breathless, the blood freezing in her veins, would know that in the darkness, wild, hidden eyes, eyes she could not see, were looking out at her. What help were the stars, stars that were far off, stars without moods or sympathies that she felt and knew would shine and twinkle as brightly and mercilessly too, above her dying, above her dead, as they were shining upon her living. Five nights of terror, Five days and nights of fasting. No wonder the cheeks showed signs of shrinking. No wonder that in the corners of the mouth and round the edges of the lips a tightening and a pallor began to show. No wonder that the eyes of a girl were lifted toward the sun as men in dreadful stress of death lift eyes to heaven praying through their dumb piteousness for mercy. And yet the pose of the body as it stood upon the beach showed courage. The light form lifted itself erect as if braced with the might of inner strength, and even in the dark depths of her eyes, turned as they were longingly and entreatingly toward the sun, a light of finest courage shone out, as if within her were two natures, one weak enough to need companionship, the other strong enough to stand up and die alone. At last the sun went down behind the mountains, and the long, narrow lake lay in deep shadow. Gloom captured the shores, it crept out from under the branches of the balsams and from amid the dark pines. It stole duskily across the bright sands of the beach, and there, pausing a moment, began to flow out upon the water itself. Little by little the air continued to thicken. Dust deepened it. The sky above lost its bright blue tint, and the great vault grew gloomy. The whole world darkened. Nature seemed stricken with grief, a grief she would fain hide and so adjusted to her fair proportions the drapery of darkness, and over her bright face let fall the gloomy veil. And when night had fully come, when the lake and the woods were one, because the darkness which obliterates all distinction was spread densely over all, upon the beach, amid the gloom, the girl stood alone. The sixth day had passed, and the sixth night had
had come. What should she do? Should she sit still and wait the dark hours through, waiting the danger that each hour might bring? No, she could not sit and wait for the morning to dawn. What morning? Would any morning ever come to her again, unless it were the morning whose light shines without lessening and without shade, on the green slopes of the everlasting hills? No, she could not sit. She must walk. She must move. She must, by the physical action, keep her mind from brooding terror. Did her heart sink? Perhaps. Did she feel that the gloom was death, left deserted as she was? Doubtless. But she fought it nobly. She took the peril out of peril by the bravery of her facing it. She counseled with her intelligence. She did the best she could to banish her womanly timidity by wise philosophy. There were chances she said to herself, chances of discovery. Some boat might pass. Some hunter might be threading through the woods. Her enemies might relent, retrace their steps, and free her from her dreadful peril. Or God, by some signal providence, might yet intervene on her behalf. And so she fought her fear most sturdily. She rallied her courage to face the emergency without shrinking, for she said within her soul, If death itself shall come, it would come at some time, and what matters the place, and what matters the time? Could a multitude make death anything but a solitude? Do we not all have to die alone, though twenty hands of love be within reach, and twenty faces love-lighted make their solemn circle around us when our eyes grow dim? So she reasoned with herself, both foolishly and wisely, seeking by things true and half-true alike, comfort in her misery and strength in her weakness. She rose, she walked the sands, she walked slowly, for her step was growing feeble. Her prolonged fasting had begun to tell upon her frame, and the splendid strength of her young form was insensibly leaving the limbs it had braced so well. She paused here and there as she walked, felt in the darkness for the cedar stems, plucked them, put the fragrant fragments in her mouth, and toyed with a pungent taste with her tongue. This she did, seeking to occupy her mind, seeking to relieve the dreadful monotony of the silence and the darkness. But she was weak, weak from hunger, weak from lack of food. She had not felt it until now. Her health was perfect, her temper brave. Her native strength had fought the incoming weakness, fought it successfully for days. But at last the enemy had conquered. The revelation of her weakness, coming to her in the darkness of the night, shocked her. It startled her with a new terror, and her young mind recognized, as she steadied herself on the sands amid the gloom, the dreadful significance of the revelation. And as she felt the failing of her mortal strength, her soul went up and out toward him whose strength braces the world. And unto whom all weakness and its trembling and its terror, her force must cry. She knelt upon the sands, and lifting her eyes into the darkness, she prayed, Thou that dwellest in night, who seeth through all darkness, and noteth the dangers that lurk therein, who maketh and keepeth the weak things of the earth and life, from amid this awful gloom I pray thee, Father, hear now my prayer. Thy child I am, and sore my need. The terror that waketh by night is on me, and I know not where to fly. I shrink from what I cannot see. 
deliver me from this lonely spot and the lonely death that is fast coming to me. Be thou, Almighty Father, this night, and with a Father's love send help quickly, or I perish. She stopped, rose quickly from her knees, and stood erect, her hands pressed tightly above her heart, expectant, for from out of the darkness a sound had come, a sound made by no stealing beast or dreadful creeping thing, a sound of a paddle and of a boat moving with gentle rippling onward through the gloom, moving directly toward her. The next instant the boat reached the sand, touched the sand almost at her very feet, and the trapper's voice from out of the darkness hailed, I hear the voice night of this spot, praying for aid. Girl, where you be? For Henry and me be here. And then a light flashed through the gloom, and Herbert and the trapper, standing in their boat, saw the girl they had sought for so long lying prone upon the sand. Our search be over, Henry, said the trapper as he stepped from the boat, and lifting the girl in his strong arms, he added, Bring the blankets from the boat, boy, and start a fire at the edge of the beach here by the big pine, for the girl be nigh starved as I conceit, and has fainted in her weakness from every joy. But joy never kills, as I have noted, and she will come to herself pretty soon, beyond doubt, and when she's tasted a little food and drank a cup of warm and drink, she will be strong enough to tell us many things, and we certainly have many things to tell her. End of chapter 21 End of the Mystery of the Woods